G'day everybody, Matt Ellis with you for the latest edition of the Cricket Library podcast and today we have a very special guest, Jamie Siddons, a very talented athlete from country Victoria who had the chance to play in the VFL. McClure written into the ground by Siddons and the decision with Jackal holding the ball. He would go on to be one of the most prolific run scorers in Australian domestic cricket. It's a late cut there from Jamie Siddons. He won a Sheffield Shield title at Victoria and is the most recent captain to lead South Australia to victory in the Sheffield Shield competition. Uh, what scenes here at the Adelaide Oval, South Australia winning their 14th Sheffield Shield title, their first since 1981-82. He has since forged a career in coaching and today we will hear his story on the Cricket Library podcast. And it's a very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast to Jamie Siddons. Thanks so much for joining us. No problem, Matt. Great to be here. Well, Jamie, I'd love to start out. You're a country boy from Robinvale in Victoria. I'd love to find out how your passion for cricket started and what it took for you uh, to be able to take your game to the elite level. So where did it all begin for Jamie Siddons? Yeah, we, we were um, fruit growers. Mum and Dad had um, purchased a fruit block, so we grew up well, well, from the age of one, I reckon I was. We had an orange and grapefruit and mandarin property and um, eventually that turned into a, a vineyard, so we grew some grapes as well at the end of that. But... Um, Dad was a passionate cricketer, a passionate footballer. He played till he was 55, 56, I think, wow. senior cricket in Robinvale. So I got to watch him play quite a lot. I went to the, along to the cricket all the time. He coached all my junior cricket um, and was probably the biggest influence on, on me loving the game. Took me to every tournament I was picked in and um, took me to Melbourne quite a bit as well. Obviously, went through some hard times trying to pay for all of these things because we didn't have a lot of money, like a lot of country people at the time. Um, but that, that that was where my passion for cricket and where I learnt how to play the game. Dad's biggest comment to me was always, if it's your day, you know, you'll make runs. So go out there and play shots and enjoy the game. Hit the ball hard. Um, uh, the bowlers are there to, to score, not just to to worry about you've got to go out there and play the game the way you want to play it and that's what I took throughout my whole career um, a lot of travel then when I was 15, 16 I played in a few representative um, carnivals and got recognised by Essendon Cricket yep. Club down in Melbourne and they invited me to play Dowling Shield and, and then I just kept going back and back playing bits and pieces of cricket for them uh, through the pith fourth, third, second, and then their first. So it was a, a long process, a lot of years of just going back and forth to Melbourne. It's just, you know, in the first two years, it was a 10-hour journey from school on a Friday night onto a train. I went a 10-hour trip to Melbourne and played cricket the next morning and then got on the train back and, put, and went back to school on the Monday. So that was a little bit of, uh, a little bit of fun on those train trips as a 16, 17-year-old. 
Was that did, um, did you find that hardened you up a bit uh, as a 16 17 year old just to to prepare yourself to play games having spent 10 hours on a train and knowing uh, that you're back on that same train the next yeah. day and you're doing it week in week out did it did it make you value your wicket a bit more the lengths you had to go yeah. to to get down there yeah, the cricket's a funny game, isn't it? Because we we get out one week. If I make a duck after that 10-hour trip, I might not get another hit for three more weeks, but I'm still making that journey to Melbourne. You know, a 10-hour trip, we get washed out the next week and I'm back on the train. So every opportunity I got, I knew I had to make the most of it. And I was still only, that was still probably only playing fourth 11 or third 11 cricket. So wow. it wasn't as if I was making the trip to play for Australia or play for Victoria. <laughs> I was just going there to play fourth 11 cricket with a few old guys from memory. So um, it, it did harden me up. I must, you know, I, I wasn't that hard on the play, on the train by any stretch because I had a bat in my hand waiting for someone to pick on me or do whatever on the train. So, um, yeah, they were long trips. It was hard times. And eventually, you know, turned 18, got my own car and was able to drive myself to Melbourne and play cricket. And when did you get to the point, um, I take it you were playing footy at, the same time as well. Yep. When, when did you get to the point where you thought, "Oh, cricket's cricket's my game"? Because I, I think at the time you were at the Sydney Swans, you were yep. still playing cricket. So, can you tell us a bit about that? Managing the footy and the cricket. Yeah, I, lo- I love both. I, I, I never went to Melbourne uh, and stayed for the winter. I always travelled back home and played country footy with Robin Barr. I, I loved it. I loved um, both both sports, but I probably. Um, if I was honest, I'd probably love football even more. But the decision was made with back injury, really, through footy. I, I never really got through full seats. I always had a back injury, and cricket seemed to be the option. Um, played for the Swans, and I played for Victoria pretty much in the same year. I debuted Victoria the year. I, I played my two games for, for the Sydney Swans. So I had to make a decision, and it, it just fell cricket's way, I guess. It, it was just something that I decided I wanted to play and I could play it probably a bit better. And were you were you on the list at Richmond first before going to the Swans? Is that correct? Uh, back in the day, we were zoned to Richmond. Sunraysia area was zoned ah, to Richmond. So okay, gotcha. They, and I lived with a Richmond, Phil Egan, my best mate. I lived with him for a lot of years down in Melbourne where I was playing cricket, but I never really got an invite from Richmond to go and play. So a um, guy called Greg Miller came and watched me play a game in Sunraysia and I must have played pretty well and they invited me down to try out for the Swans. Swans were in Sydney, the main team, and I played a few second eleven games in Melbourne and then flew to Sydney and played there. Oh, that's fascinating that you could mm. manage manage all that. It looks like it sounds like travel was something you just got used to. And um coming into the Victorian state side, can you tell us uh how that progression happened? You said there's a fair bit of a journey there going up through the, the fourths and the thirds and the seconds, et cetera. Um, yep. When you eventually get to Melbourne and you're sort of on the fringe of that first-class setup, uh, how has that transition into first-class cricket for you? Yeah, it was, I, I guess, but again, we played a lot of second-level cricket. I, I, I remember playing quite a bit of second-level cricket, playing against some really good players. I, I can't reel them off, but they would have been, you know, players that went on and played, a lot of players that went on and played two cricket. So I think that was the the biggest step from, you know, playing first grade cricket, we've played some second level cricket and then you, you earn your stripes and get an opportunity. And, and I, I did spend a couple of pre-seasons and 
did a little bit of work with a few of the coaches in Redpath and in Redpath and guys like that. So I felt like I was quite ready when I did get get my chance as a twenty year old. Yeah, and that chance comes against the West Indies of all teams at the <laughs> at the MCG and facing up to Courtney Walsh. Can you tell us how you got off the mark? Yeah, I can. And it sounds probably – it was a really good shot. It was a full shot, first ball bouncer, uh, probably chest high that I hit straight in front of square, one bounce into the fence. And it, it felt fantastic off of the bat and it, and it hit the pickets and I was away. But um, the MCG in those days were, was known for running along the ground, so they had to bowl it pretty short and it didn't really have the life in it that – uh, you probably imagine the West Indies were, you know, it's not like they were playing in Perth. But I was pretty happy with the shot and I'll, I'll never forget it. Yeah, unbelievable. And did you feel like you settled in fairly quickly? It sounds like you were taking your dad's advice there and playing the ball on and, and hitting it in when it's in your area. Yeah. Um, did you find that you settled in and were able to relax and play your own game? Uh, at that level? Yeah, I, I, I always did. I always tried to play my own game and hit bad balls for four or six, whatever um, seemed like the right option to take. I, I, did, I did get hauled over the coals a few times by Red Path and uh, a few of the other coaches, but I went too hard. And I, you know, I, I got out playing that full shot a lot when in my early days. I had to, to tail it a little bit to make sure I put some runs on the board. Um, hit the ball along the ground a little bit more, which I wasn't prone to do so much. So, you know, you, you do find out with cricket that some shots get you out, that you need to be a little bit more patient. And I learned that pretty quickly, I, I must admit. Um, probably took me two or three years, but um, in a 16-year career, that was that was good little uh, learning curve for me those first three years. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the call comes to play a one-day international. Can you tell us how that came about and that experience of uh, being in that Australian one-day international side in, in 1988? Yeah, it was – It was. Uh, well, I got married, had a birthday, got married pretty much in the same month and then a phone call came through probably two or three days before um, our wedding and we were – I was – well and truly celebrating in Robin Bar with all my mates, all the Victorian <laughs> boys had come up for the for the uh, for the wedding. So it was a double celebration, really. It was in April, sometime '88, uh, I reckon, or something around about then, and um, it was a fantastic week. I, I never forget the phone call and and the tour was eye opener for for a country boy from Robin Bar to tour Pakistan and um, all the crazy parts of that that country, which I've grown to love India, Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh in, since then because I've toured there a lot. Yeah. But it was a it was a real um, experience, that's for sure, with the war boys and all the players. That Alan Border leading the team. It was a, an amazing um, tour, and I loved every minute of it. And you get the chance to to play that game. Uh, you, you score thirty two off thirty seven, which strike rate standards back in 1988 that's going at a at an absolute gallop um i think jeff marsh got runs in that game booney got a few as well um what was the what was the in-game experience like uh did they do cap presentations was there any fanfare or was it is it just you 
get out there and play the game? Because I think I think I spent a lot of the time being sick in Pakistan. So I've got food poisoning and missed a few of the lead-up games and probably was a chance to play test matches because the side was going terribly and um, I just wasn't well enough to, to play a test match. But then this was the last game of the tour, so it was probably a, a, a nice gesture by the selectors and, and Dean Jones was left out for me. So he was a good mate of mine in the Victorian side at the time. Uh, the star, uh, but he was left out, and I got my opportunity. Uh, I can remember facing Abdul Qadir, hitting his wrong and back over his head, and and then I splashed one to the point, and it was a really good catch actually. So I was out for thirty-two off thirty. So it went, it came and went really quickly. It was, I don't remember a lot about it apart from facing Qadir and hitting that ball, you know, a foot off the ground and getting caught. So, um, uh, a great experience. I, I love. I love representing Australia, and it's a it's a great memory. And you mentioned the food poisoning and the the upset stomach that that continued on, didn't it? After the tour, and you you had quite a while where you weren't a hundred percent well. Can you tell us about that time? Yeah, I think I, I took took my opportunity in that one hit for Australia, and I, I you know I I thought. It would be my year that year, and I'd play a lot more and get a lot more opportunities. But I took that bug back with me to Australia, and I never really recovered throughout that summer. Yeah, um, summer came on pretty quick, and I was in and out of uh, illness, and never really got my energy or my mojo back. So, had my, probably my worst year ever from being in the peak of my my form and stuff. I dropped off really quickly, and then got it back after that, but never really got another opportunity. So it was a bit disappointing in the fact that it didn't go away quickly enough for me to, to have a good summer and establish a, a spot in that side. Yeah, yeah. And the 1991 summer is a good one for you, though. You you play in the Shield final against New South Wales at the MCG. Earlier in that season, I think you notched up 245 also against New South Wales. And... That Sheffield Shield was a pretty funny one. New South Wales batting first, making 220-odd. Then you guys get rolled for 120. Cracker Holsworth takes five for. Uh, and then Dottomade takes a bag uh, to to give you guys about 240 to chase. 100 in the second innings of a Shield final. Uh, how good is it to to win your first Sheffield Shield for Victoria? Yeah, it was that absolutely my my favourite memory of my 16 years in first class cricket. Um, Dodder made taking those bites. I think the ball kept coming. I took two or three catches in that innings as well. They kept coming to me, and I, I just I don't, I don't really I didn't sleep very well. So I think I was like might have been overnight over, out, not out overnight and didn't sleep that great. But came out and everything hit the middle of the bat, and we were we were in all sorts of trouble trying to get back into that game. But in the end, me and Wayne Phillips put on a really good partnership. I think I stole too many runs and he couldn't <laughs> quite get to his century. He was stuck on 96 or something like that. You know, he was cruising to 100 as well. But we got the runs and um, I think the great Southern stand was just being built. So the MCG was a, a mess, but the game was fantastic. It was a great come from behind win and uh, Victoria hadn't had one for a while. And I... And we did it with a lot of my great friends did, uh, around, so it was it was brilliant. Did anything change in the wicket? Um, those 
like the, the second and the third innings of the game, both under 150 and the first and the last, like you guys, two for 239 in yeah. the final innings of the game. Any, any conditions play a part in that or was it just the way the game flowed? Yeah, it's a, it's a long time. I, I don't remember, but I do remember it was a pretty placid wicket when I went out to bat. Yeah. Um, not a lot of turn. The, the bowlers had to bang it in to get it up, and which you'd expect on the fourth day, fifth day of a, of a shield game. Um, and the wickets just, yeah, the, the ball was swinging around. I do remember there were some good swing bowlers in that game. Holdsworth had the pace to, to trouble people on his best day anyway. And, um made and Cho with us and O'Donnell just swinging the ball around. So we just happened to fight back really hard and, and knock them over cheaply and enable us to have a score that we could reach. But the wicket was pretty pretty nice at the end. Yeah, yeah. And how, how does the move to South Australia come about? You win that shield there, 1991, um, in, in that in-between time. Does, yep. does the injury happen, you, you have an injury facing Mervyn Hughes, does that happen before or after you go to South Australia? Yeah, no, I was, um, that was after. Uh, he was playing for Victoria, I was playing for South Australia. Yep. So, uh, the move, yeah, it's still, it, it still bothers me a little bit. I would have loved to have been a all-time uh, Victorian player and played my whole career there, but... Um, Darren Lehman came along the year before on a great contract with uh, Victoria Carlton, so they said, and I, I didn't believe any of that. I wasn't, I wasn't copying any of that. I thought Victoria had paid him really well, and I thought I was um, the player that was coming through that played for Australia and was making lots of runs and made a Shield final hundred for them. And um, I couldn't even get a job. Where I was still going back home and picking oranges and wow. playing footy in the in the winters. So. Um, and nothing, nothing I said or did would get any of that moving. So um, Dennis Hickey, who had played Victoria, was then a South Australian player, and he called me and offered me a position with South Australia. Said we really want you to come over, have a think about it mm-hmm. as, as captain and full time job and promise of contract. In, back in those days, it was game by game you would get paid. You wouldn't be on a really wouldn't really be on a contract, so you'd have to play to earn. So yep. it was security that I hadn't had. I wasn't able to had a wife and hadn't wasn't able to buy a house in Melbourne because there was no security. Yeah. Um and that South Australian offer was certainly that back in the days. It was not significant but was really good. Uh yeah, and, and I I was a little bit angry at Victoria, um, but not so much that that's, that was the only thing that made me leave. I hadn't had any more opportunities with Australia. I thought, well, I might as well go have a great, I love batting in Adelaide, everyone does, and I'll go there and have a, have a nice career. I loved Adelaide. It was closer to my hometown and easier to get to, easier to live in uh, for a country boy. So, yeah, we weighed a lot of things up and then made that decision, which uh, I lo- I've loved my time in South Australia, but I do regret that I didn't play my whole career at one state. Yeah, wow. And um, Shield Player of the Year, 92-93, uh, good year for you there. Um, captaincy of South Australia, what what did you learn from being the captain of, of South Australian cricket? Yeah, it was, a, it was a really tough time, to be honest. When I, when I first arrived, there were, I think there were four ex-Test players and 
two um, ex South Australian captains still playing in the side. You know, there was, I think, the Hooks, Sleep, Hilditch, um, Hooks, Hilditch, Sleep, and one other, but I can't remember them. Uh, Wayne Phillips. Yeah. Uh, so they were all still playing for South Australia. So it was a, a really tough time. Hooksy was the ex captain that I that I took the job from, and I don't think. Uh, Victorians are that loved by South Australians anyway, but when you're a Victorian cricketer and you come over and take the captaincy <laughs> off David Hooks, it's not the right, not the place you want to be. So but they didn't make it easy for me, but it certainly made me, you know, tougher, um, a strong captain, I think, being able to get through that period and then be able to bring some, some young players through. Yeah. Um, I learned how to manage... Uh, Senior players as well as the young ones. That's probably the biggest thing you learn when you when you're captain of a, of a side to lead in different ways to, to encourage young players and bring them through and allow them to make mistakes, but also demand from the senior players that they carry those guys through and, and also help teach them the game of cricket and how how to go about winning shield games. Yeah, and you and you do get to captain South Australia to a Sheffield Shield final. You mentioned just before that your victory for Victoria was a career highlight. Where does where does that Shield final of ninety five ninety six stack up for you? Yeah, it was it was just as exciting. I, I just think making the hundred and carrying the side over the line. Um, makes that a little bit more special. The, the one that I captained, I was injured in that game. I can remember mm. getting injections every morning of every day of the game. I probably shouldn't have played, but I, 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 we were in all sorts of trouble in that game. We didn't actually win the game this time. It was more uh, the rules of the game allowed us to win the Shield final. We threw the game in the end yep. just with uh, one wicket to go. I think I was the last man out before our number 10 well, number 11 batsman Shane George walked to the crease. Yeah. I left him with nine overs to, to bat. Um, and that, that that made it really special. There was a countdown. There was a whole heap of crowd noise and people were counting down the balls that we had remaining in the game to, to win the game or to win the Shields. Yep. Um, and, you know, that the, the drama of that was pretty special. We actually spoke to Peter McIntyre uh, on on the program last year about this Shield final. I'm just going to play a little bit now. If, if people want to go back and listen to the full chat with Peter McIntyre, you can do that at the usual places. But this is what that Shield final meant to Peter McIntyre, the man in the middle who hit the last dot ball to get South Australia across the line. When you when you receive your baggy green and uh, your number 364 and you know that uh, there's only 400-odd players that have played – Test cricket for Australia in 130 years. Uh, that's that's probably the the highlight pinnacle of your career. But geez, that Shield final was right up there. I tell you, it was uh, in, incredible feeling to actually win that Shield, and just the city, the city loved it too. Like they really got behind the the whole final, and the, after we won it, and yeah, it was uh, an incredible time. Yeah, incredible time indeed. Just the uh, the footage of that, uh, people jumping the fence, running on the ground, the jubilation uh, in the change room. Uh, it it just looked like it meant so much to so many people. I think there was a 15-year gap or something between the one 
that had previously been won by South Australia as well. Um, any other reflections on that game? Yeah, yeah. The the the, the drama of the uh, the fact that it came down to that last, you know, the last ball, the last over, uh, and the drama of the the two bats when they were out there were not meant to be able to survive that long. I think that's what made it better. That's what Macca sort of his excitement from running from off the ground, jumping into the change rooms and <laughs> jubilation was exactly the word. The, the whole state were behind us. People were parking their car in the main street, you know, stopping traffic to run in to watch those last four or five balls. It was, it was crazy. And, you know, it was probably 10,000 people. It felt like 110,000. It was the noise and the cheering was unbelievable. I can remember having to go off and do media for the next hour, but (laughs) I could still hear the boys celebrating and singing our songs and, you know, having a great old time in the rooms while I was too impressed. So um, I missed a lot of that, but um, we did party for a long time afterwards. It was, you know, unbelievable. Winning Shields is what we play Shield cricket for. And for some of us, that's that's the pinnacle. Macca got to play Test cricket and I got to play an ODI, but Winning Shields is, you know, you spend a lot of time playing Shield cricket with a lot of your really good mates that you grow up playing the game with. So it, it is special. I won two in 16 years. That's how yeah. rare they are for some people. And Tim May's 52-ball duck, is that the best duck you've seen in Shield cricket? Yeah, it was. I batted, I batted for all of those balls as well with him. So, <laughs> um, I, I think I was shielding him from the, from the spin by line. It was a really big turning wicket. And Brad Hogg was spinning him square and maybe stayed up the other end because many papers. So um, he, he's, a, he's one of the funniest men I've ever played cricket with, but he, he's got his head down that day. And Peter McIntyre must have faced a lot of balls. I mean, I think I'd batted for three and, three and a half hours or something for four runs. Yeah. Um, something ridiculous. Um, and Shane George surviving nine overs. Um, phenomenal. But there was drama all the way through that game. Adam Gilchrist made a massive score and smacked us all over the ground. Um, yeah, some really big efforts in that game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A, a real uh, shining light for South Australian cricket and something they'll be, oh, they've been chasing since, really, haven't they? Trying to get that, get that title back. They've had a couple, I think, one or two finals since then. Um, yeah. You, you, Decision to retire from cricket. Uh, how did that come about, and um, what what are your reflections uh, coming coming to the end of your playing career? Yeah, I it it was um, just a realization that I I I captain I'd handed the captain down to Darren Lehman a year or two earlier. Yep. Um, and I think that was the only thing that was keeping me in the game. To be fair, I run out of opportunities to play for Australia. That's why I played the game is to play at the highest level and that, you know, as a 34-year-old, 35-year-old, you're not going to get that opportunity again. Um, I wasn't packing the side, so the motivation started to slip away and so did the form. I, I needed everything going, you know, I needed to be up and about to be making runs and I wasn't that. So um, I let Greg Chappell know that I didn't want to continue on and I think I missed the last part of the season with a... Um, I think it might, I might have said my shoulder or something, but I didn't really have an injury. I wanted to get out of the game. Yeah. Uh, and I've not looked back since. I don't think I've, I might have come back and played one club game in that time afterwards. That was the end of my cricket. I didn't play again. And the transition into coaching, you mentioned Greg Chappell there. Um, 
you were his assistant at South Australia. You do some work at the Centre of Excellence as well. How was that transition uh, from player to coach? Yeah, look, it was it was pretty it was pretty quick, really. And I, I didn't do anything to deserve it. I don't think I was captaining and playing a long career and knowing how to manage players and knowing how to get the best out of people was something that I prided myself on. And, um, but I, I left the game and went back to Mildura, country Victoria, and worked in a sports shop because um, I didn't really have anything on the horizon. And that, I thought that would be it. Yep. Um, I'd be doing something there and just living my life away there. And uh, I got I saw that South Australia and Tim Nielsen, I think, was had moved on from his assistant coach's job, and I put my hand up for that, and I got it. So I moved straight back to. I couldn't get in the car quick enough to, to get back into the game um, that I loved and spent a little bit of time under Greg Chappell. Uh, and and then Tim had gone to, to be assistant coach of the Australians and then he moved on from there. And I somehow put my hand up for that and got that with John Buchanan and had the most amazing next three years of my life as assistant coach of Australia with John Buchanan. Can you tell us? the most amazing cricket team ever. Yeah. So, you know, I loved it. It was a quick transition and, uh, yeah, and I spent a bit of time at the academy, but that was as assistant coach of the Australian team. Can you tell us about working with John Buchanan? Um, there's differing views out there around the way he went about his business, but certainly yeah. um, his record speaks for itself uh, in terms of uh what that team achieved in that period of time yeah. was phenomenal. Yeah. And just, you know, you, he was, he was the calmest man I've ever met under all sorts of pressure. He, he was strategic in everything he did. He, you know, I was uh, the video analyst and the ball thrower and the fielding coach and everything at the time when I, when I started with him in the ashes in England, um, but he was meticulous. I had, I couldn't get a, a run, I couldn't be a run out at the end of the day. I had to be spot on with my scores and all the stats had to be presented to him the next day, ready for the team meeting for the next day. Um, wow. But he had the ability to, to have people look forward to the next um, the next win and the next record that they would break because they were such a, a brilliant team that relied on purely on skill. But John gave them stats. He gave them video footage just to add to that skill. The players that we had that we had under us, or John had under him, were phenomenal players, and will their records stand for themselves. But I 100% think that he had a big part to play in the success of that team. And what are the key things you took from working under him uh, that you think have made you a better coach? Uh, you, you go on to do some coaching in Bangladesh, and we'll we'll ask yep. you about the coaching that you're doing now in a minute. Um, yep. What what was that time with John Buchanan? How did that add add to your your coaching philosophy or the way you go about your business? Yes, yeah, I think John's 100. percent He's an academic. He's 100 percent the opposite of me. So <laughs> I, I'm more a skills oriented. I, I love to improve players' skills, and he didn't have to do that as the Australian coach. But when you're a state coach or doing what I'm doing now with younger people, you've got to work on the skills. So I love the analysis of players and what they do with their feet and how they move and how they pick a bat up. And so that's how I 
worked as a coach. I wanted to make sure we had the best skill drills and we worked harder on our game than any other any other team. Um, and I love the planning side of what he did. I love watching opposition players and finding out their weaknesses. So I guess the biggest thing I learned was that you need to have a great team to win games of cricket. It doesn't matter how good a coach you are, you need to have some cattle. Yep. And you also need to understand um, opposition and what, what their strengths and weaknesses are and how you can expose them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when you do get the chance to be a head coach at Bangladesh, um, any any reflections on that time there? Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I actually had a new marriage at the time, so it was an amazing journey to Bangladesh. So we won five nil Ashes here with the Aussie team, and I was uh, fortunate enough to be hot property as the assistant to John Buchanan and that five nil Ashes mm. whitewash of the greatest team that I think has ever played for Australia, bar maybe one. Um, and so I was offered the Sri Lanka job and the Bangladesh job and ended up through different circumstances taking the Bangladesh one. Uh, and it was three years that I'll never forget the, the, the country, a bit like the tour to Pakistan and the um, following tours to India with, with the Aussie team as an assistant coach. It was just a, a great experience. You get, as a head coach, you get a great contract, you get great travel allowances and you get looked after really well. And 150 million people know who you are. So <laughs> you, and the bald-headed white guy who's the head coach of Bangladesh is very well recognised and, and looked after. People love to come up and say hello. And, you know, you'd have a lot of unfortunate people following you around wanting some money off you and you just go and buy them some fruit and feel like you're doing some great things for, for some people. And the staff that you have under you, being able to look on after them is, Something special. Like me and my wife will never forget. We still send money over to our some of the staff that we had then. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, that's great. Great, you still got those connections over there. And um, what was it like coming back to South Australia after that experience? Was it um, something that you were looking to do? Yeah. Well, in back living in Bangladesh, we knew it was never going to be forever. So that's what made it a little bit easier to live there. Yep. Um, I think it's been recognised as the least livable city in the world for a long time. So wow. that, it wasn't the greatest city in the world, but we had a great time. So we knew we weren't there for a long time, so we had a great time with all the expats. And then um, I think the side, I don't think, the side lost. Uh, we played pretty well in the World Cup before I got uh, the chop from that job. Uh, I think West, the West Indies lost a game against England when they should have won it, which would have put us into the quarterfinals and I would have had another couple of years, I would imagine. But yeah. um, they lost that game and I lost my job. And I took up a job with Wellington in New Zealand before I came to Australia, which oh, was a great right. little um, entry into first-class cricket. They, they played 2020, one-day cricket and shield cricket. And the same three formats, the same setup as with six teams in the competition as we do here. So it made it a really good transition. I, I, got, I learned a lot of um, tricks and a lot of things from coaching Wellington and then tried to bring those things to, to South Australia. Yeah. Um, South Australia, we, we got in two shield finals and two, three one-day finals and lost them all. So, <laughs> um, which wasn't great, but, you know... I know we could have been a lot more successful, but I feel feel like we've done some really great things here. 
Yeah, absolutely. And some good young players coming through in South Australia at the moment, the likes of Travis Head, Alex Carey, um, coming coming through that time. Uh, what's yep. it like working with emerging talent like that? Yeah, it's really it's really great. It's what you it's what you coach for. You want to see some talent. You want to see some talent blossom, and you want to see some of the things you've shown them start to start to pay dividends. And that's what you definitely see with Carey, um, who we brought through from a club cricketer right the way through to what he is now, and he's done it really quickly. You never see a harder worker or a nicer person than Alex Carey. I think the public see that now when they watch him on TV and hear him interviewed. He's just he, that's exactly who he is. But, uh, and Travis is just an extreme talent. Um, came through the under underage stuff with a blast, and then captaincy was handed to him at a really young age, and he's managed that, managed to grow into a really good captain now, and someone that walks out the bat with super confidence. And that's come with. Um, making a lot of runs and playing for Australia. Now he, he owns that team and, and runs it really well. He's got all the boys behind him and, that, you know, they're the things that you you watch. And you see talent like Daniel Worrell, who is begging for an opportunity. He's probably the best bowler I've seen for a long time, but he hasn't had the right the right back to, to get him through. And the Aussie team, the Aussie selectors are definitely looking at someone like that. Yep. Um, but there is a lot of talent around in, in state cricket in South Australia, no different. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you've made the transition into running your own business, uh, a crazy time in the world with COVID-19. Uh, can you tell us about the coaching that you're doing now and uh, what you're hoping to achieve um, with, the, with, with the coaching work that you're doing? Yeah, it's not the greatest time to be trying to start a business or losing your, losing your great job that you have, but... Um, that if uh, if times had been different, I might have been looking all around the world for another job. So mm. the family might have been up uprooted and travelling by now. But um, having not had that opportunity, I thought my passion for a long time, ever since I had my two boys and and was throwing balls and trying to work out how do I, you know, give these guys a, a gift of a great batswing and you know to be able to play golf and cricket and all of these things and. Having been, you know, 45 years old and followed the greatest players in the world around for a long time, watching them play and watching their opposition, I had a pretty good idea of how I could do it. And I mucked around with it a bit and, and was kept it really simple for my boys. And they, they've come out with, uh, you know, they've got great little bat swings and they hit a ball a mile, even though they're tiny little fellas. Yeah. So I thought I'd be able to hand that on to, to every other parent. And that's my... My dream has been for a long time to pass what I've taught my kids on to parents and, and young kids so that they can go through and have some fun with the game and hopefully, you know, flourish and, and become good players. Whether they go on and play test cricket or not, I know they'll enjoy the game and they'll hit, hit lots of fours and sixes, which is what my motto is. I want to teach people how to hit the ball harder. But yeah. really what I'm doing is, is showing them what the great players do how they pick the bat up. So it's quite simple uh, and, and it's so effective for parents to be able to, to, be able to teach their kids in their own backyard. And, and are you doing a bit of um, video coaching these days with the restrictions and things or you, you've recently been able to get back out on the park and uh, do some stuff uh, face-to-face? Yeah, no, really lucky to be in Adelaide where we've been able to do 
uh, one-on-one stuff for, long, for quite a while now. As long as we keep our distance and, and our kids don't touch the balls that we're mucking, then I'm touching and yep. they've just got to hit it with their bat and not touch it with their hands. Um, so we've been able to do that for the last few months and I've, I've had lots of young kids come through um, the session and quite busy at the moment, to be honest. So I, I'm loving it. I'm loving just seeing how I can put a smile on their face by showing them how to hit the ball properly. Yeah, absolutely. Which I don't think is happening out there in the world at the moment. I'm quite concerned. Yep. Yeah. It's great to hear that you are still passionate about cricket and that you're so keen to inspire others to grow a love of the game. And uh, a love of the game is a lot stronger if you're having success at what you do and giving people the tools to be able to do that is is a gift, like you say. And we always like to finish our chat on the Cricket Library podcast, finding out who our guests would most like to have a net with. And it sounds like you've had some nets with some pretty impressive cricketers uh, giving throwdowns and no doubt um, batting against some pretty good bowlers over the years. If you could pick three people to come and join you in the nets, who would you choose and why? Uh Look, it, it, does it have to be a cricketer? That's the thing. No, because you could you could have you could have anyone you want. You could have President mate, Trump I, or whoever you yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, look, I've I've got Tiger Woods because I've fallen in love with the game of golf, and I've got Michael Jordan because when I was growing up, he was just a superstar of basketball. I loved the game of basketball as well, uh, and Shane Warren because I just think he is the best player I've ever seen and played against. So. Get the warning marks, and they're all Nike boys, so they know each other pretty well, I'd imagine. Um, so those three would be good fun. And might get a bit of Nike product from some of the boys as well. <laughs> bit of handy. I've never got anything from Nike, so it'd be <laughs> nice to get something now. <laughs> well, if anyone from Nike is listening, please get in touch, um, <laughs> and we can pass on Jamie's details. And just speaking, just speaking of your details, if, if people are interested in having a net with you. Um, where's the best place for them to find you? Yeah, look, just my website, mate, jamiesiddons.com, jamiesiddonscoaching.com, sorry. Uh, All the stuff there, some good swing tips on there for everyone to go and have a look at. So if you've got young kids or you're a parent that, you know, you want to teach some other kids in coaching, it's a great place to go and have a look at some of the, the wild stuff that I've been doing with my boys and the kids that I'm coaching at the moment having fantastic results. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure spending some time with you this evening, Jamie, and and hearing your story and your cricketing journey. And I just love that you're still passionate for the game. And that's what this podcast is about, is about telling stories of people who have been inspired by a love of cricket. And it's so good that you're still doing that. Thanks so much for joining us on the program. Thanks, Matt. Much appreciated, man. I love love the comments. I love looking after kids. So that's the main thing, getting them excited about the game. The game will have a good future. Absolutely. A massive thanks to Jamie Siddons for joining us on the Cricket Library podcast. A wonderful story of the young man who paved his way, uh, learning from his dad, a passionate cricket man, and imparting the skills to him getting on the train, travelling 10 hours at a time to go backwards and forwards from Melbourne to play lower grade cricket, worked his way through the ranks, got to make his first class debut 
on the MCG facing Courtney Walsh and dispatching him for four runs and deciding between footy and cricket, the Sydney Swans. A couple of games there in the top grade in the VFL and then going on to have the successful cricketing career that he had. Uh, 10,643 shield runs, uh, magnificent track record there. couple of shield finals, the one that we mentioned against New South Wales whilst playing for Victoria, and then the other one captaining South Australia, lifting the shield in that drawn game that will be remembered for eons for the way that it was drawn out in the end by Peter McIntyre blocking that final ball after a long stay at the crease from some tail enders. And of course, his move into coaching, uh, working with John Buchanan and head coach at Bangladesh there as well, uh, coaching in New Zealand, South Australia, and, and now trying to inspire the next generation of cricketers through his business, Jamie Siddons Coaching. So uh, a very passionate cricket man and someone that I'm sure our listeners would have resonated with. And that's who I'm thanking now, our listeners. A massive thanks to all of you. I thoroughly appreciate all of you tuning in and listening to these stories and engaging with them. A big thank you to all of you who've left reviews on Apple Podcasts. That really does help us to continue doing what we're doing. Thanks to everyone who shared it in your networks as well on the social channels at Cricket Library on Twitter is where you'll find updates and Matt Ellis podcast on Facebook. You can check out posts and share them with your friends from there. Have yourselves a very enjoyable time between now and the next chat we bring to you. We've got a couple of young women's cricketers from the ACT Meteors coming up in the next edition and after that I can't say too much but we've got someone who, who won two big bash titles and was a very handy wicket keeper at domestic level in Australia and was probably pretty close to getting the call up at some stage I'm looking forward to chatting to that person asking them all about their cricketing journey But it's time to say goodbye. Thanks again for joining us. This has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Bye for now.